You're listening to Her Brilliant Health Radio, episode number one. She used to deliver babies, but now she delivers exceptional wellness for women. Welcome to Her Brilliant Health Radio, where holistic women's health expert and board-certified OBGYN, Dr. Kieran Dunstan, shares revolutionary insight from leading experts on what you need to know today to treat the root cause of disease, heal, and create the radiant health you've been searching for. Dr. Dina Minnick is a health educator, researcher, and author with more than 20 years of experience in nutrition, mind-body health, and functional medicine. Her passion is bringing forth a colorful, whole self approach to nourishment and bridging the gaps between science, soul, and art in medicine. Her most recent book is called The Rainbow Diet, A Holistic Approach to Radiant Health Through Foods and Supplements. Welcome, Dr. Dina Minnick. All right, so welcome, Dr. Deanna. I'm so excited to talk to you, and I love that you're in your art studio. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't have it any other way. <laughs> I love that because one of the things I had intended to talk to you about was was your art. And so since I'm seeing that for the first time, why don't we just start with that? I okay. love how you integrate art with your soul, soul and medicine. And I, so I want to hear all about that. Oh, thank you so much. First of all, thanks for having me on your podcast. I um, had you on my podcast as well. And it was just a delight to get to know more about you and your, gosh, your personal and your professional journey and how those two paths were so beautifully interwoven. And I have a, a very similar personal and professional interweaving, although a different story. So with me, I never intended to make art. In fact, I was, and I still am, a very nerdy scientist. <laughs> so I like to read research. I like to read nonfiction. In fact, I was laughing. Uh, my husband and I were coming home from the airport yesterday, and I wanted to get a book. And he always really, he wants me to read fiction, and it's so hard for me because I feel like I need to get something from a book, like facts. I need to continue to have that knowledge. So I ended up buying a fiction book, and I didn't like it very much. So, but anyway, I, I'm nerdy. I'm scientific. My path was always destined to do something with science, and I did. I got my master's and my PhD, both in nutritional biochemistry. Uh, and along that, that path, I began to study with a variety of different teachers because I began to realize that truth was not just packaged in double-blind placebo-controlled trials, that there was something more to life. And so I took my first yoga class when I was 19. I had my own health issues. So one of the things that I really struggled with was endometriosis. I had a reproductive condition, as you know, but your listeners may not know much about endometriosis. It's an inflammatory condition of the uterus. And I had it really bad. I had it so bad that I had adhesives and scarring in my, uh, especially in my left fallopian tube. Mm -hmm. So it was blocked. It was filling with fluid. So throughout my 20s and my 30s, and I'm in my late 40s now, I was struggling. I was struggling with it. I struggled with being a woman, just even in my professional life. I felt that I was in a very male-dominated world, and so I had to assume that. I had to be a warrior, and I, you know, that really wasn't me, quite honestly. I mean, I have a side to me where I can do that, but I'm really very sensitive. I'm very empathic. I'm very emotional. I'm 
more introverted. I'm more quiet in those ways. And so for me to have to bolster myself, especially in the field of science, which is very male dominated, as you probably experienced in medicine, is a very difficult thing. And so one of the things I did to answer your question in a long circuitous way is I began painting. And it came out of a place of desperation. It came out of loneliness. It came out of depression, anxiety. It was one of those moments where you know, kind of like when you're, you're, you just don't know what else to do. And it's almost like <laughs> at that moment, you, I went up to the art store. I bought a big roll of paper. I had this, um, I was very attracted to bright colors, no muted colors for me. So I brought all these acrylic paints and I put my hair in a ponytail and I just got on the floor and I started painting on this long roll of paper and it felt very good. I mean, it just felt so free to do that. At the time, I was in my late 20s. That was the first painting I had ever made. I put it up on my wall. I lived in a student house. I was doing my PhD at the time. And it just felt very nourishing to have an outlet, to have a place where I could actually be me. And that's what painting did for me. That's, that's an awesome journey. And, uh, and I especially love it because I'm, I'm very artistic, too. I actually come from a family of doctors. My dad was a graphic designer. My sister's a graphic designer. Her husband's a graphic designer. Um, my mom uh, ran a, a film training school for a long time, and she worked with an architect. And so I kind of have in my blood this artistic bent. Um, I was probably more musical when I was coming along, but one of the things that's really helped me and kept me sane and kept me in touch with that feminine side, that softer side, because you're right, it is a very male-dominant field that we're in, um, is art. And I don't, nobody would buy my art, but I do it for me. And I might go to Michael's and just get a couple canvases and <laughs> acrylic paints and paint. And um, I like working with a glass and a kiln. And I even took a, oh. a glass class at SCAD. And I, I had fantasies I was going to actually um, drop out of medicine and go to sculpting school at one point. Um, so I really oh. do have this artistic side that I love. Um, so I'm very, both, both, both brains, both hemispheres going here. Um, so I love that. And I love that you're, you're talking to me from this, this artistic place, because this podcast is all about women and her brilliant health. So it's about how do you have brilliant health and what does that mean for you? And hopefully everybody listening really hears that it's not just what you eat. It's not going to the gym and banging it out. It's all of you. It's your whole self. It's your whole life. And uh, it's your artistic expression. And that's why I love ha having you on the podcast because who you are and what you've created in this world just speaks that so brilliantly. So thank you for that. Well, I feel like we're sisters on that path. And so now knowing even about you with sculpting, I didn't know that. So that was a, a new piece to the puzzle. Um, but you, you know, I think whether we're men or women, all of us need to create. All of us need, we are all artists. I really truly believe that we all carry an artist archetype. And that simply means that we're always creating. Our body is always creating. Our cells are multiplying and dividing and dying. Uh, nature is, is constantly making changes as we're li living and seeing things day by day. 
everything has a life force. And I feel that when we are being creative, when we are tapping into that, it's healing. What I didn't mention um, is that, so as I continued painting, uh, I would find that I would be drawn to painting when I would feel emotional. And I would paint with certain colors. I began to notice that there was a pattern. And me as a scientist, I, I often would think in patterns, like where, where do things seem to stack up and be the same? And I noticed that I would never wear orange or pink or yellow, but these colors were emerging on my canvases over and over again. And I, have a, I had a very similar repetitive pattern to them. And years and years later, it was my husband that said to me, he kind of stepped back and he's a musician. He's kind of like you, you know, he's more musically inclined. I'm more visually inclined. He looked at these paintings and he said, Deanna, I think you're painting your ovaries and your uterus. Uh And I remember it was late one night. It was a Saturday night. I had just finished painting one of these heart, big heart shapes with big swirls. (laughs) And I stepped back and I said, Mark, I think you're right. And I kept painting the same swirls, the same two swirls, and the same big swirl. And um, so once he said that, it clicked for me. And then all of a sudden, I said, if I'm really painting my ovaries and uterus, I'm going to go gung-ho on this. And so then I got really into it, and I started painting all the phases of the uterus. I painted menstruation. I painted fertilization, which was like this golden, beautiful dance. I mean, none of my paintings, you look at it and obviously say like, oh, that's an ovary, an anatomical ovary and uterus. But if you knew what I was going through personally, and my husband did, I think he put it together. Mm -hmm. So I eventually, in a small gallery that was owned by my friend, our, our collective friends, she's an artist, I asked her to do a gallery. I felt like I had to show this to the world. I wanted to show all the phases of the uterus and really honor that, that who we are in our creative body, that I think for women, we have two uteruses. (laughs) We have, so to speak, it's metaphorical. We have our physical body creation, our incubator that can birth babies. And we have the upper incubator of the heart, which is so similar to the uterus and how it is formed. Uh, and, and, and in fact, uh, when my gynecologist did an ultrasound, she said, Deanna, your uterus is shaped like a heart. It never completely uh, became pear-shaped. Yes. Because it forms like two tubes come together and then the center of the tube goes away. Exactly. So you, can have, you can have partial non-fusion of different degrees. You can actually have two uteruses or a didelphic uterus. And it sounds like you just had. Oh, how is that? <laughs> I knew I would be talking to the right person about this. <laughs> yeah, she actually scanned it. I saw it. She drew it out for me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, my uterus looks like a heart. That's kind of cool. And she said, you probably won't be able to conceive. She said, you can conceive, but you may not hold. Uh, a fetus very well within you because of the shape of your uterus. And for me, you know, quite honestly, I never had intentions of having children. Mm-hmm. I was the oldest in my family. I felt like I was always around children. I love children. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I just spent the weekend with my four-year-old niece and it brings out the child in me and I love to be around <laughs> kids. But I just felt that 
it's not going to happen for me. Maybe anatomically, maybe I just sense it cerebrally. I don't know what it is, but it just felt right to birth things like books and podcasts and paintings and I birthed other things. So, well, and I love, I love that we're talking about this. So, and actually in Chinese medicine, the uterus is known as the second heart. Um, it's, it's that important. Um, and so this practice of ritualistic hysterectomy, let me call it, um, where it's one of the top two surgeries performed in the United States each year, second only to cesarean section, just really bothers me because, and I think most women don't really understand, yeah, you may not need it, you're not going to have children anymore, but energetically what that means. Um, and the other reason I love that we're discussing this is because when I practiced OBGYN for so many years, one of the things that I would talk to people about routinely who had uterine dysfunction, particularly fibroids, mm -hmm. was how it is the seat of creation. And I also love it because this really gets into what a lot of what you talk about is it's the seat of creation. And your body's energetic need to create these tumors somehow is a message to you about something you're not creating outside of yourself in the world. And that energy, that energetic flow is blocked. And so what is it you're wanting to bring into the world and create? And so I want you to kind of segue maybe into that, because I know you talk about these types of issues in your books and just what, what, what's your take on that? My endometriosis completely healed, and my left blocked fallopian tube, which is called, as you know, uh, hydrocell pinks, mm -hmm. completely went away, even after monitoring it every year and watching it on the ultrasound, making sure it didn't get bigger, more swollen, more painful. Mm -hmm. And as my gynecologist told me, she said, usually these things don't resolve. And so it was the summer that I had my art gallery exhibit. This is probably about four or five years ago, or even a little bit longer um, I had the art gallery showing. I went in every August. I would go in for my my ultrasound, and so when I went in on that that summer, that August, I'm laying on the table. It's a dark room, and you're seeing your the ultrasound up there, which kind of looks like abstract art. <laughs> I have no idea how you know every how the, the the practitioners figure out what is what. But anyway, uh, the practitioner that I had in the room with me, the nurse that was doing it, she said. I don't see the hydrocell pinks and your uterus looks beautiful. And here I am in a very vulnerable position on the table with this blanket. My feet are in the stirrups and I just start crying. And I said, what do you mean? I said, why don't you just look for it again? Because, you know, that ultrasound, I'm just not sure. Maybe you're not seeing it. Maybe it's hiding under something. She looked again and she says, no, it's not there. So then after I got clothed, I went up and I talked with my gynecologist and um, she said, looks like it's healed. She says, I don't typically see this, <laughs> that it just goes away. And she said, what have you been doing? And by the way, I, I didn't mention to everybody that um, I had been doing nutrition. I was teaching women's health for years, nutrition and supplements, talking about lifestyle. But what I wasn't talking about with everybody was the kind of my secret side of doing all this art, which is why now I've come out and really want to talk about it because it made a huge impact in my life. It really did. I mean, to the point that I, I feel that that's the missing piece. If we can go into our doctors and have them ask us, when was the last time you were creative? Mm 
you know, my gynecologist never asked me that. She just asked me about my periods. You know, how are your symptoms? You know, there was nothing about my life. And when I started to tell her that I was painting and doing these things, she says, okay, you know, whatever is working for you, that's fine. (laughs) I don't think anybody can really understand it or really, you know, it, it would be hard to do a scientific study on women doing art and healing from endometriosis. I don't think, you know, everybody, and, and some women, when they hear my story, they say, Deanna, tell me everything. How did you set up the canvas? What paints did you buy? Because they think it's going to go and heal them, but I can never make that guarantee. You know, I was doing so many different things. I was doing nutrition. I was taking oodles of supplements. I was physically active. I was working on my stress level. The missing piece that wasn't there was, for me, the painting. But for some other women, that could be many other things you know right I, I agree and I love that you've come I'm gonna say you've come out of the science art closet right yeah. <laughs> those of us in science I, I have so many friends female friends who are doctors nutritionists whatever they are in the health healing professions and they know that this is a vital part of their their healing but they're a little timid about bringing it to the forefront and talking to patients about it. Um, but the truth is that women are out there. They know that something's missing from the doctor's office where it's just drugs and surgery. And they know that it has something to do with this larger creative energetic picture. However, I still hear from women that they look to their health practitioners to guide them and they say, well, she didn't say anything to me. And so I say, well, I'm saying it, Yeah, (laughs) you know, and they want to know, well, why don't I hear this from other doctors? Well, because they haven't come out of the art closet yet, but (laughs) (laughs) what you need to know. And and like you say, it might not be painting for everyone. Mm -hmm. Each woman has to find what's right and important for her. And I think that's an important takeaway for anyone listening is you have to find it for you. It's that hero's journey and only you can go on your hero's journey and find what it is that's the key component of your healing. But just like Deanna said, you know, she had been doing a lot of things and then these, these issues resolved on the ultrasound and people will say, Oh, it's a miracle. It might be a miracle, but to me, a miracle is just a change in perception. And so when you change your perception from everything that's solid is real and can't change to everything is really energy and fluid and everything is constantly changing, it's just that it's usually changing to the same thing because you're thinking and doing the same things. If you change your perception to everything's constantly changing vibrational energy, and you start thinking different thoughts and doing different things, you can change what looks solid like Mm -hmm. your body and have what appears to be a miracle that actually happens way more often than you would hear about because doctors will have um, spontaneous remission of tumors or all of a sudden someone's HIV negative when they've been positive their whole life or tumors disappear, these miraculous cures. Well, you don't read about them in scientific journals because they just call it a case study, but these happen every day. So thank you for sharing that. You know, thank you. When it happens to you, it really does take on that very deep 
feeling of like, wow, exactly what you said, that we can shift our perception, we can shift our reality, we can shape shift our lives in really impactful ways. And now that I know what I know and have experienced what I have experienced, I don't want to go back. So now I maintain a space for art in my life. And I treat it just as I would getting my 10,000 steps a day. I, it's, it's never that I do it with such regularity, though, where I put it on my calendar and say, I'm painting today. Okay. I do because I don't want to box myself in. When I was growing up, I had a lot of rigidity and rules and discipline and a lot of um, – I grew up Catholic. and so I went to Catholic school. I wore uniforms. I, had, I was taught by nuns and priests. And so everything was very straight-laced. And so – I don't want to get into that again. I I have felt that now I'm in my own rhythm and art is the one part of my life that I don't want structure. I, I move away. Anytime anybody makes comments about the art, I just leave. Those are comments about them and not about me. That art is preserved for me and me only. That is my personal expression. And the funny thing is, I don't go to try and sell the art at all. In fact, if I were commissioned to make art, that would make me kind of like, wait a minute, that's my sacred space. I I often have made art. In fact, I just posted one of my latest paintings on my Facebook page. And then I had a practitioner say, I'd really like that for my clinic. (laughs) So, and I, I wasn't sure if I was ready to give that one up. I was really feeding off of the colors and I liked it a lot. And so she, she was continued to text me on the page and I discussed it with my husband. I said, I don't know. Do you think I should offer this over to her? And he says, Deanna, you're going to make a lot more paintings. I'm sure you can do that. (laughs) So I gave it to her. Um, She paid for the painting and I sent it to her. So it will be in a clinic in Texas, a holistic health clinic, which is cool because I really would like for the art to go on and help heal others like it has with me. And every time I'm painting, I'm usually listening to music. So there's an intention. And in that particular painting, I was listening to a song about love and devotion. So I painted to that theme of love and devotion. And there was, I usually get a lot of messages from color. So we're all intuitive. All actually, everybody is intuitive. It's just how much we exercise that muscle and colors as I'm painting, it's like it opens up a portal, which is probably why when I paint a lot of spirals, it's taking me into my intuitive space and I start getting a lot of messages. I get messages about my life. It's almost like a meditation. I can be sitting there closing my eyes and not doing anything, or I could be painting to this rhythmic mantra that I'm hearing in the background. I usually listen to Krishna Das. He's one of my favorite. Um, (laughs) He gets into that rhythmic flow and then I just kind of start painting and I move with that. Um, And it's almost like I get lost in that world. And through that experience, it is very meditative. And maybe that's part of the heal. I mean, I don't want to analyze it too much because I kind of feel like, again, whatever happens in those painting sessions is meant to happen. Right. And, and studies have shown that getting in that flow space of creativity, whether it's painting or sometimes sports, uh, people in playing sports will get in that flow. It does help to improve cortisol levels so we can pontificate on how that happens. But the, the, the truth is that it happened. And, and one of the things I love that you mentioned meditation that I talk to patients all the time about is, 
meditation, meditation, meditation. And it's one of the hardest things to get people to do. So I'd love to hear your experience with that for women, particularly getting them to take the time and do it. So I'd love to hear how you factor that in your life and any tips you have for them. So one of the things, it's also very difficult for me to sit and meditate. And so one of the things that I do is I do these short sprints of meditation. Mm -hmm. So I'll set my, my phone timer for maybe one to three minutes. And I'm really in that space. I think if I can't do one to three minutes, that's, <laughs> that's, that's not so good. I, I, I can give myself that amount of time. I do use an app often. It's called Insight Timer. Do you know that one? Love it. Love it. It's my favorite. Yeah. And, and the one I do, I make my own. And it's the one with the, um, the bowl. So you can, I like the sound of the Tibetan bowl. And then um, you hear that resonance. And then there's an ohm. So for me, I really resonate with, um, with India and Tibet and these countries. Uh, not so much China or Japan. My husband is really into China and Japan. So he does things that resonate with that. He does acupuncture. So, um, but yeah, I like the, the Indian Tibetan rhythms. And so oftentimes I'll listen to that for just one to three minutes. But, you know, I would say change it up, never to get too static or rigid in a meditation routine. In fact, one of my earlier books, I think I came out with it in 2011. It was a hundred different meditations, a hundred different visualizations. And me being very visual, I like to have something visual together with the meditation. And oftentimes we live in a forest. We live on five acres of all these big cedar trees. For me, oftentimes my meditation is being in the woods. It's actually being in the trees. It's going for a hike. I don't have to sit on my bed and ohm. I can go out and be in nature and get this invigoration that is unlike any supplement you can ever take. You yeah, know, I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to make it so heady. It could be very earthy and body oriented, right? Yeah, and just take your shoes off and put your feet on the earth. And I love to hug a tree. I will hug a tree in a second and just <laughs> feel it and think about the roots going down. And you can feel the energy of that tree and just going up. And um, that is, that's one of my nourishing practices also. Um, yeah. So. And I think we have that as children. We have this as children. We yeah. understand nature. That's why we like animals. We like going, I mean, I have cats, um, and I connect with them, I think, more than many people see other animals as lower life forms, and I don't necessarily see that. I see that in a very feminine co-creation way, that this is a web, and that this tree that I'm looking at right now is con as connected to me, and I'm connected to it, and I don't see it any less than. I really don't, which is why... Back to my profession and what I do around nutrition, I've yeah. never seen a difference, and I know some people are going to balk at this, I've never seen a difference between a vegan or somebody that is an omnivore. Because to me, life is life is life. And if I'm eating a plant, there is still a sacrifice and a, uh, you know, I studied with a shaman. And so one of the things that we always did with our meals is we gave thanks, no matter what it is, plant, animal, mineral. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think that rocks, minerals. I mean, that has vibration. That has life force too. So everything is these, these vibrating molecules that are making up who we are. And so to give thanks for all of it. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. Everything is living. And, and who are we to say that um, a 
cow is more living than kale just because it has eyes Mm -hmm. and has a respiratory system like we do, that kale has a certain degree of consciousness and is alive. And so I have really recently have kind of come to this place, but I'm, I'm actually moving towards vegan just for, for various reasons. It feels healthier for me. I actually went on a retreat and I ate vegan and I felt great. And so I've been eating less meat, but um, just on a philosophical level, I've really been asking is a cow more alive than broccoli and and who am I to say that? So um, I don't think you're the only one asking that. Um, there was something that you touched on that I said, oh, I want, oh, I know what it was. So we are definitely, we're, we're sisters on the path. Absolutely. And so I, I, one of the things I encourage clients and people I work with to do is to have a mission for their life and really be clear on what their mission is and really start looking at all the opportunities that they have to spend time, energy, money, you know, their, their um, assets and ask, is this worth my time and energy based on my life's mission? So I'm just curious, what is your life's mission? I, you know what? I love that you asked that question of your clients mm-hmm. because I think that's probably, once people know that, you're right. You can check everything against that and say, right. does this fit? So my life's mission is to connect science and spirituality. I have felt that now for over a decade that I am the person to see the whole. I'm one of the many people to see the whole and to bring it forth in a in my own feel and flavor, which is through color. Everything that I do, write about, teach about, talk about, uh, my last book is called The Rainbow Diet. And yeah. so bringing in the color, the artistry, and connecting the nerdy science, the, the rigidity, the linear approach of the mind, the left brain, with the right brain, the creative brain. And we're all kind of, I think that this is, the 21st century is, there's something about this time and space that we're living in. I believe that that is probably one of the universal threads of why many people are here is to do that. um, I would say bringing back the holism, bringing back, rather than calling a medical practice, as my dad said, it's practice then. Uh, So, you know, you think a private practice sounds very different than the healing arts. When you say you have a healing arts practice versus I have a private practice, to me, the the energy, I also studied literature. I was a um, pre-med, but I was an English literature minor. And so I was always in these Emily Dickinson and Walt Whitman and taking philosophy. So I, I think a lot about words and I think a lot about bridges because I'd go to my science classes and I felt that I wasn't completely scientific. I, I was always very curious about other things. And then I'd go into my literature classes. There were a lot of kind of hippie-esque artists, free-flowing people. And I felt like, you know, that's not totally me either. I'm something in between. I'm a hybrid. And I feel like that is my life's mission is to hybridize, to help people to connect right and left brain, masculine, feminine, poetry, practicality. One of my, my mantras is make the, pra- the practical spiritual and make the spiritual practical. I All too often growing up as a Catholic and seeing all this very rigid spirituality but not feeling the connection to the body or to food or to body as the temple. And then on the physical side, seeing so many people into nutrition and eating right and getting all the books, but then not paying attention to 
your philosophy, their, like you said, your life's mission. What is your sense of connection? What gives you the sense of spirit, meaning, and purpose? Mm-hmm. So to me, my life's mission is about those two things. It's bridging the spiritual, as, as you might say in TCM, heaven and earth. You know, it's even, um, you know, like the magician, one hand to sky, one hand to earth. And then we are the divining rod as, as beings here on the planet. So that's, I'm part of the many people doing that type of work, <laughs> including you. <laughs> yeah. And for those who don't know, TCM is traditional Chinese oh, yes. medicine. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. So I have a, a question for you about something that, that uh, really has come to the forefront for me lately. So we, we've got the spirituality piece. We've got the science piece and we've got the bridge. Where do emotions come in for that? Because I think that's a huge part for women of where our healing lies is working with healing the emotions. So I'd love it if you could talk about that. So the bridge is the rainbow. And that's where we find the emotion piece. So this is one of the teaching tools that I use. It's called the seven systems of health. When I first took uh, yoga and I learned about the chakras, that just seemed like a genius operating system for connecting the endocrine system. But then I was going beyond. I started seeing patterns with people and food and themes in their lives. So the bridge between the physical and the spiritual is the rainbow. And that rainbow is in all of us. It's in our adrenals, our, our fight or flight. It's in our reproductive organs, our emotions, our creativity. That's to your question. It's in the yellow. It's in the fire part of us, digestion, transformation, It's in our heart, how we give and receive love. It's in our thyroid, how we transform and integrate. Um, It's in our our pituitary, which is the master gland, being signaled by the hypothalamus. And then it's really the the non-physical parts of us. And so the emotions are one of the divining rods, one of the messengers between physical and spiritual. And I do think that that's one of the things, me personally, that I had shut down for many years because... You know, as you grow up, we get certain imprints and messages about being a certain way, especially if you're a woman, mm-hmm. right? And, and so I, I even remember in Catholic school, oh, it's not polite to, um, I was just ta- listening to a, another podcast and talking with some people about even dating and how men, when they were being raised, you know, they were taught that you need to go and find somebody and pursue them. And then the woman plays hard to get. And there's this game. Yeah. There's this game that happens, and I'm actually the one that asked my husband out. At the time, he wasn't my husband, obviously. I asked the the man I later married out on a date, and I thought, you know, this is nonsense. And my mom, I remember her saying to me something along the lines of, you know, like, that's not proper. (laughs) No, I I don't care what's proper and what's polite. I mean, as long as I'm not hurting anybody, I almost love to go against those norms. I mean, that feeds me. I mean, not to do it just out of spite, but really, like, I think this is uh, also the age of truth. This is a lot of truth-telling. When you ask about emotions, I think that what we're seeing in this time and day and age is there's a heightened level of taking emotions into the realm of truth, which is thyroid. How we Look at all these thyroid books that yes. have come out. And for women, that's a big deal. It is, and thyroid disease is rampant, and, and, and truth, but thyroid is about, that's your truth teller, and so what are you not saying that needs to be said, that you need to say, what are you not expressing, 
Uh, you know, anyone listening who's got a thyroid issue, you need to start saying what's on your mind. So and yes, actually- that, that bridge, I love that. And so um, I, I love t- practical tools because I agree with you. When we were raised, our generation, um, I had no education about how to handle feelings and what to do with them. I kind of learned by watching the adults around me who, who weren't necessarily the healthiest. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's really now that I'm learning and, and it's part of my healing practices, really being one able to identify correctly what you're feeling. I find that there's sometimes a lack of clarity. And then once you get that clarity, what do you do with that? Yeah. And really, processing it properly because each organ has an emotion associated with it, particularly the endocrine system, like you talk about, which is our communication system. Um, and I think it's no, no mistake that right now we're, we're having a plethora of endocrine problems because I think we have problems with communication with ourselves and with other people. Um, I'm kind of getting off on tangents here, but but what are some tools that you give people to, to help to work with their emotions? Yes. So in my whole detox book, so I did create a program called uh, Whole Detox, which is 21 days, seven things that you do every day. And emotions are one of the seven. And so like you said, uh, I see emotions in three different buckets, or at least a process of three steps. One is mm-hmm. to first become aware that you are even feeling something. I think so many people are so used to stuffing things down that they don't even have a language. I remember seeing a patient in the clinic with a physician that I was working with, and he and I were kind of tag-teaming it. And the patient was releasing, emotionally releasing, and we asked her, you know, what do you feel? She was crying. And she had no words. She, she could not define what she felt. She was so out of touch with her emotions that she couldn't even say, what her feelings were. So if you go online, I didn't create this, but there is something called the feeling wheel. And if you just Google feeling wheel, you're going to see a bunch of graphics. It's a circle with um, spokes radiating out. And so those spokes radiating out, so you have uh, anger, sadness, happiness, and uh, those are kind of like the three core emotions. But oftentimes, we don't just feel happy, mad, sad. There is complexity to that. And so what I, one of the things I recommend is, let's just say that you are feeling emotional at work and you start becoming more aware. At the end of the day, in the whole detox book, I've created an, an emotional checklist. So you can take 30 seconds just to go through and start exercising your emotional muscle and say, okay, I was angry today. I was content. You can check off from this list of 30 different emotions what you felt. And so since I do a lot with nutrition, one of the fun activities you can also do is to see how those emotions are playing into your eating. You take a piece of paper. It's very easy. You can either fold it in two or you can just draw a line down the middle. And you don't have to make it very fancy at all. But you just write down, what are you eating? What are you feeling? And so every time you eat, write down your feelings. That'll be your trigger. And so um, one of the things that I learned from having many people do this with me is that oftentimes we're, that we're feeling something strongly before we eat something or we shut down feelings and, and feel the need to eat more. There, there's kind of this converse relationship there. 
Um, for some people, when they crave chocolate, you can clearly see what the emotion is, and you just look across. I, I had a a 62-year-old Vietnam vet who came to me, and he had chocolate cravings. And I said, you know, this is really interesting. Let's look at the underbelly. Let's look at why you have these chocolate cravings, because they weren't benefiting him. He was eating too much chocolate. Mm -hmm. So when we did that food emotion log and we started to look at his pattern, one of the things that we noticed was that every time he was feeling kind of depressed or down or sad, he would reach for chocolate, but he never had that awareness. He never, I mean, for us, we might think, of course, you know, when somebody's not feeling energized or, but for him, it was very specific to sadness. It was kind of a lull, a sad, he was more prone to depression. And so when he would get into that feeling of being a little bit low, chocolate would, he realized like, oh, so then you create an alternative. You work with the emotion. You can create an, an emotional date, as I call it. Figure out a way to let it express because that emotion is not a bad thing. In fact, I don't believe that any emotion is bad or, nor good. They're all messengers in their own way. Mm-hmm. And you said something very insightful about the organs and the emotions. So the liver and anger and action, the kidneys and fear. And it, gosh, if we didn't have fear, how would we survive? All of these emotions are so important. And even grief, the sense of loss. We think of the lungs and sadness and crying, you know, the, the use of the breath in order to let things go. Mm-hmm. So all of these emotions. And, and I was one of those people who really negated emotions. I became more intellectual. And so I would intellectualize my emotions and say, oh, I really shouldn't feel that because that person was probably thinking this. You know, it's amazing how you let your mind get into all these entanglements. But it's like, you know what? I'm feeling this. Let's process it. Let's just go for a walk. Let's just move it through. Let's make some effort. Let's dance for four minutes. Just even be aware of it and acknowledge and say, you know what? I'm pretty upset right now. You know, just own it. Just claim it. Yeah, and, and I'm really helping people listening to, to recognize that the feelings are your friends and they are emotions, energy and motion, and you're meant to feel them. They are what they are. You can't argue with them or say if they're valid or not. They are what they are. And if you just feel them and let them wash through. But I love that, an, an emotional date, a date with emotion, mm-hmm. to, to process it and let it through. And then a lot of times it will go away just because you you felt it. It's kind of like, you know, the people that keep calling you to try and sell you magazines on the phone. If you just talk to them instead of pushing, do not answer, cancel, delete. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. And they go away. Right? You say, no, I'm not interested. <laughs> but you hear what they have to say. Um, but I just think that, that that emotional key, I know, you know, there are different layers of, of health and healing. Um, and I always like to say health is not a destination. It's a journey. Um, and so there are different layers. It's not like you get to a place and you're, you're healed and healthy. You you're always adjusting going down the the road between the white lines. So you'll come to these different layers. And one thing I've really been working with people and with myself on recently is this, this emotional piece and, and finding how it really fits in with everything you're talking about, the colors and the chakras and the organs and the foods. And it's, it's all this beautiful intertwining tapestry. So thank you for sharing That's those tools. You know, I also, I like your metaphor a lot for emotions and what to do with them. Uh, I also think of emotions as unruly children. 
you know, I read somewhere that the average emotion lasts 60 to 90 seconds in the amygdala of the brain. Like, truly, emotions whip through us quickly. But it's our thoughts that we connect to the emotions, and emotions plus thoughts equal mood. So if we get into a sour mood or a bad mood, it's typically because we had an emotion that we didn't feel, and we took that into the realm of thought, and we started to, like, glue we started to affix that emotion to us in a variety of different ways and having thoughts around it, whether we shouldn't be having that emotion. Uh, we feel guilt about it. We feel anger that we had an emotion. I see this a lot even with um, – I used to work a lot with people that did yoga. I'm also a yoga teacher. I'm not doing active teaching now. But for many people who are spiritual or who feel like they're living in a higher consciousness life, they feel that emotions are low low vibe. And I, gosh, you know, it, just like the body, it's part of the body and our awareness technique. We need those sensors. If we didn't have emotions, how do we know how to respond? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, uh, what's that movie Avatar? You know, it's like our, we're moving through the landscape of our lives and our emotions are directing us. It's, it's baked into us from an instinctual level. So we move towards pleasure and we move away from pain. We're never going to undo that. So that's why with unpleasant emotions, oftentimes we move into eating comfort foods because we want to get into the pleasure side. However, if we were just to get the juiciness of that emotion and recognize it for what it is, it's like, oh, this is an opportunity. I'm angry. I'm gonna, I need to do something. I, in fact, I was just watching um, – well, if, if anybody has ever watched the movie about Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook, what was really interesting is that what got him to create Facebook was this bit of anger. He had this breakup with his girlfriend. Yeah, it was. he was trying to get back at her, and at least that's what the movie portrayed, so I don't know what the real facts are. But there, there have been great movies, stories, art, novels spurred from fits of anger. And I think for women, they fear anger. Women are used to sadness, and there's kind of a status quo around, okay, women can be sad, but women can't be angry because then they're going to be called names. But for men, it's kind of like, no, it's okay for men to be angry, but not men to be sad. We have that, that reverse. And so I don't think we need to be angry and be in that place of anger forever, but we do need to... You know, there's a good book, actually. It's called Feed Your Demons, and it's by a Buddhist nun, um, and her last name is Alione, A-L-L-I-O-N-E. And um, I went to one of her workshops years and years ago, and it was great because the things that we think are demons are actually one of our, our highest teachers. And she had these great exercises. And if you just go online and you look up Feed Your Demons, she, she even put so many things online that people can do this at home. Where, you know, essentially you're dialoguing with the emotion. You're dialoguing with a certain body part. You're dialoguing with what seems like it's like a demon. So with me, my Catholic upbringing, you know, that felt appropriate because, you know, we're often taught good and evil. And so we often bucket emotions into good and evil, that anger is evil or fear is not good. But again, I, I think what you and I are both saying is that, there's beauty in everything, and it's a messenger. And if we just simply see it as energy and motion and as a messenger, it takes on a totally different tone. Yes, and it's just so key. It's a key part of having brilliant health. And yes. so I'd love to ask you, 
The name of the podcast is Her Brilliant Health. What does that mean to you, Her Brilliant Health? It means being vital, colorful, and full of life force. So many times we are chasing after not having disease, and brilliant health is about being colorful, being vital, and moving in the the best path for one's own healing, right? And and so your path could be different from, from my path. But what makes us live a colorful life? That's always the question I ask people. What's going to make give you, like, the color when you start to see life in technicolor, when you start to realize that the cubicle that you work at uh, and at the office is all gray and you decide to dress it up. You start changing your clothing. You start wearing different colors. You start eating different colors. You start really paying attention to the vitality, the colorful vivaciousness of your life. Mm-hmm. So I do think uh, it does go back into, into mission. I think to circle back what you said, uh-huh. having that sense of bril- brilliance or light or radiance to me, it's connected to vitality. And what is vitality connected to? And I know this just from just from myself. Like what gets me up in the morning is having that sense of mission and purpose and wanting to help other people with other things or mm-hmm. feeling you have to follow that feeling. So I think that's where the brilliance is. Sometimes it's in the place of greatest discomfort. And underneath that discomfort, we enter into that shining light of our own brilliance. Yeah, I love that. Yes. I love what you just said. That's so beautiful. And I'd love for you to, we could, I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> You're fascinating and interesting. Um, and I think you just have so much to offer people. I think people are thirsty for this type of knowledge. Um, they they want to know what do I need to be, do to be whole and heal. Um, and I'd love you to leave listeners with three things that they could do today, kind of three challenges, three action challenges to move towards their most brilliant health. What would be the three things that you would say, recommend that they do? I'm making a little note. First one is um, go small. I know you say three and I like the number three too. Three is the number of creativity, by the way. So, (laughs) but I would say go small. So even though you're going to hear three things, just choose one. Um, so, so go small because I do feel that women, this is so f- interesting to me. I have given, uh, lectures and then I, I'll say to people, okay, just name one thing and then they'll give me 10 things, but then they don't feel good if they don't deliver on even just a few of them. Right. So start small with your life and realize that at any time you can turn back, you can reverse engineer all of that. So start small, just have an intention. And an intention is like one word. I mean, it's whatever you feel really drawn to. Uh, For me this year, my intention is to be receptive. I had this word receptivity, which is a very feminine word. If you think of the uterus, a very receptive word. I haven't always been so feminine with my intentions, but that word guides me. At least for this year, I really feel like being receptive to what comes my way rather than forcing. I think when we start small and we just kind of wait for things to come rather than forcing, pushing, pulling, you know, in our society, we have this thing called go-getter, which is like, oh, you're never going to get it if you don't move on it. Squeaky wheel gets the oil, you know, but start small and be receptive. 
It's probably two in one. I'm going to come back to color because color is truly what I see myself anchored into. Mm -hmm. We are all colorful. Um, and so find color and, and start looking at your wardrobe. Look at the lipstick you might wear. Look at the house that you live in or the space that you've cultivated for yourself. Look at the color of the car that you're driving. Uh, look at all the colors in your environment. Let them inform you. Have awareness around color. And then the third one is creativity. Find your path. Find your creative path. And you know what? Shake it up. I don't always paint. Sometimes I like to do different creative things. Like even on my desk right here, I have um, clay. <laughs> so I, don't, I don't try to make it complicated. You know, sometimes I'll just, if I need to figure out a solution to something, I'll just take a piece of clay and just start. It's not even like I'm trying to make anything because that would be productivity. Creativity doesn't require productivity. It requires receptivity. You know, just being in the moment and being in that space. So whatever that takes for you. So number one, again, go small, be receptive. Number two, tap into color. Number three, follow your creative path. And even if you don't know what it is, try on a couple of different things. Maybe for you it's gardening. Maybe it is meal preparation. Maybe you like to write poems or haikus. I had one woman in my whole detox programs where she brought forth a gift for us on haiku where it's five, seven, five, the, the number of syllables. It was really beautiful. So she had that gift. So let yourself shine through all of those things. Yes. And everybody listening, like she said, pick one, make it simple and, um, and just try it. Do something today. What one thing could you do today? Uh, brilliant health is, is not an event. It's a process. And so it's every day asking yourself, how can I add color? How can I add creativity? Um, maybe set an intention first thing in the morning when you wake up. My intention is to experience peace or whatever it is. Uh, so thank you, Dr. Deanna, for sharing yourself with me and with everybody on the call, listening, viewing. Um, you're just... You are a brilliant light and a beacon to so many women, most of whom you'll never meet, but whose life you have changed just by being you and speaking your truth. So thank you so much. Mm, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on the podcast. And thank you for being like a sister and having that sense of understanding because it makes speaking one's truth much easier when somebody is listening and truly hearing what you're saying. So thank you. My pleasure. And I'm going to put information for everyone in the show notes about how you can find out more about Dr. Deanna. And she's got some freebies for you that you can go and you can download. I won't tell you about them. There'll be information there. Um, but uh, more about her detox program and the rainbow diet, which is a wonderful book. Uh, and I love that you have many, many recipes uh, in those. So thank you so much. Many oh, thank, you. thank you for joining me for this episode of Her Brilliant Health Radio. Hopefully you are inspired to take action on some new information you received today. A step towards the bountiful, blissful, beautiful vitality that you deserve. If you have health topics and questions you'd like addressed, please message me on my Facebook page or visit KieranDunstonMD.com and let me know. I'd love to help. Remember to share this podcast on social media and send it to your friends and family who could benefit from it too. 
If you love the show, please go right now to iTunes, write a review, and make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you'll be the first to know when future episodes are available. Thank you again for joining me. And remember, achieving optimal health isn't magic, it's science.